totally at the World Cup. You've been to Russia? No, it's a drop-in occasionally. The trick is to quit while you're still here. Day 11, it's Panama drama. England with historically huge 6-1 victory in game of contrast. One side great set-piece takers, the others just taking the piece. And Group H where Senegal and Japan draw 2-2 and the Poles depart after a 3-0 spanking from Colombia. Coming up on Monday, Groups A and B climax in the afternoon. Come for the Saudi Arabia-Egypt clash, stay for Uruguay and Russia, a real test of the host's newfound chemistry. Then in the evening, huge games, Iran take on Portugal and Spain clash with Morocco. It's Totally Football Show, totally at the World Cup. Hey everybody, and thanks for joining Totally kind of heading towards the sharp end of the group stages now at the World Cup in Russia. Here with us today, James Horncastle. Yeah, we're actually just discussing we're 50% done with this World Cup. I'm we're sorry? Half as many games left, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's sensational. Luckily, Duncan Alexander's here with us. Hello, James. And so's Michael Cox. Hi, James. Today of history, Sunday, England racking up the biggest ever win in a, in a tournament. Yeah, incredibly comfortable. Um, obviously, Panama, not the greatest opposition, but for those of us who, you know, sat through England struggling to break down Trinidad and Tobago in 2006 and drawing with Algeria four years later, it was very, very comfortable. Well, it's pretty rare that you see a scoreline like this. Duncan, was it only the fifth time or only the fourth time in World Cup history that someone's managed to finish the first half five goals up? It was the fifth time it's happened. Um, and it was, I mean, obviously it was England's biggest win, but you think about the last time they'd scored even four in a game was actually the uh, the 1966 World Cup final, which um, A, had extra time, and B, was an era when, you know, it was easy to score relatively um there were just so many stats i mean you know england basically scored as many goals in the first half as they had in their previous two world cups um harry kane has now scored six percent of of england's goals at world cups ever um and yeah john stones has scored as many goals as alessandro del piero at world cups at world cups (laughs) yeah he's got he's yeah a few behind it was only 24 hours ago james that we were sat here discussing how panama might sit back and make it difficult for england but that all ended, what, two or three minutes into the game? Yeah, I think uh, Panama's uh, number one tactic in this game was to be physical and rough up England as, as much as they could. Um, you saw Jesse Lingard be elbowed in the face very early on. Harry Maguire got the same treatment. And uh, as Roberto Martinez was stressing when Belgium played them, it's you know, kind of lucky that uh, that his team and England have come away unscathed from their encounters uh, with Panama. But uh, just the variation in England's play, um, not just in the set pieces, which of course got a lot of praise um, in, in the sort of post-match analysis that, that we saw. But um, this team seems to have a lot of um, imagination, uh, a lot of uh, solutions. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy when, when your opponent is Panama. But as we've seen a lot in this World Cup so far, underdogs, um, teams that we've expected the big nations in particular to comfortably beat, have often been stiffer opponents than many people have expected. And mm. instead, England kind of swept... Uh, Panama away, um, and were mightily impressive too. 
Do you know what England have got a lot of? Kieran Trippier. Yes, he had a very good game. Um, I thought the funny thing about this game was it wasn't that different from the opening game, uh, really. You know, obviously one was 2-1 um, and one was 6-1. But England really threatened from set pieces, from getting Lingard in behind. I think the only difference here was the finishing was better and the referee was stricter in terms of the holding in the box. Right. Um, I think England played really well first game. And... Um, like I say, it was just better finishing here that uh, meant the, the scoreline was somewhat more comfortable. Was Harry Kane's first the best penalty ever, asked Jeremy Grundy. Duncan. It wasn't until the second one. He essentially <laughs> did the same, which right. is braver if you think about it, because, you know, to do exactly the same. But I mean, to reiterate what James is saying, um, this England team does look, I mean, yeah, they are really good at set pieces, but they are also really comfortable on the ball. Their past completion today was 92.4%, which is the best of any team at this World Cup. It's actually the third highest of any team in any game at any World Cup from 1966 onwards. So if you were to do like a supermarket taste test, if you were to kind of take all the branding off all the World Cup teams and see them all play, do you think that what you then discover to be England would actually be the most impressive side of all so far? I think so. I mean, both games, as Michael said, they've, you know, battered the opposition. You know, they look positive. Um, they don't look like England in a tournament. I think that's what's confusing both English people and non-English people. I mean, there is the caveat that they have only played Tunisia and Panama, but, you know... We'll see what happens against Belgium. The scenes, uh, just the first goal against Panama on Sunday uh, at various establishments around the UK when drinks flying in the air, going 1-0 up against Panama. It's coming home. It's coming home. I mean, uh, Harry Maguire, who um, obviously was a fan at uh, Euro 2016, he met up after the game and had selfies with uh, the same group of lads who'd come out to obviously see him, um, which, yeah, was, I think, again... I think that's um, what's quite interesting about this World Cup is that f- probably for the first time since maybe Euro 96 or definitely World Cup 90, there, there's a camaraderie amongst the England players that's pretty obvious. And mm. I think any team that wins the World Cup, and I think that's a lot. A few people in Germany have said that's what's missing from, from their squad. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. There's so many bits that need remarking upon, whether it's Harry Kane's hat-trick or Jesse Lingard's performance or the 25 uninterrupted passes before it went in off Harry Kane's heel. Yeah, that was a good move. Although, funnily enough, I thought the best passing combinations were actually played by Panama. There was one bit midway through the first half where they just played this absolutely mesmeric uh, passing combination, switched it from side to side and and almost outplayed England for a couple of minutes. Mm. The funny thing was I didn't think England did that much in open play. I don't think they created one good chance from open play. Well, the goal that Lingard scored was pretty good. And that was that was decent, but it still ended with an incredible finish rather than they hadn't cut Panama open. You know, it still took they an incredible... They kind of did, Michael. There was a lovely one-two that yeah. he was playing with. Uh, who was he playing with? With Sterling. Sterling. Yeah. yeah, but if you need a shot from 25 yards that goes into the top corner, you haven't necessarily low opened XG up the Low on that, very low. Yeah, it's, it's more of a great finish than it is a great passing move that cuts the opposition open. All right. And just, I mean, I thought England's best passing move of the game was actually from that set piece, uh, from the free kick that John Ah. Stones eventually headed in, which was just obviously one off the training ground, but really, really well worked. Lovely flick from Jordan Henderson. Bit of a shame that Raheem Sterling didn't get the goal because I think there's still going to be discussion of the fact he's 22, 23 games now Mm. um, without a goal for England. But I think we all like a, a training ground routine and yet it's funny how much praise it gets. You know, oh, there's a 
football team that practiced how to score goals on the training pitch. Incredible. But the great thing about that was obviously moments beforehand, there was almost a huddle with all the players. They're all going through, obviously, what they'd worked on in, in, in training, but it still needs remarking on that, the lucidity to actually do that within the game, to, to go through it, to remind you all of your jobs. and do, It was mightily impressive. And then to execute it, even against Panama, um, particularly when Sterling, Sterling, I think he was the guy, the intended goal scorer, and it didn't come off, and Stones was there at the far post to get his second goal. Pretty impressive. Panama's fans, they were they were part of the the spectacle. They were they were commendable in in the way that they supported, despite being on the wrong end of a six one shell. Yeah, it's good. I mean. They've travelled an incredibly long way, maybe not the most... Well, they got quicker way than they used to, to be fair. Because <laughs> <laughs> of the canal. True. That is true. I don't think that affects... That would only be if, if they had to go through Panama to get somewhere. If you come from Panama, the canal If they'd been help. on the um, east coast <laughs> and had gone by boat, it would have been an absolute godsend. <laughs> That's true. But let's move on. Um, so Panama, yes. And they had a goal. They did their best to get another one when they sneakily tried to kick off and score while England was still celebrating. Yeah, the bizarre continuing story or continuing confusion about, you know, the fact some people suddenly seem to believe that you can take the kick off if the opposition are off the pitch celebrating or if the opposition don't have any players in the opposition half. But um, there's nothing about that in the laws of the game. The, so. the evidence is compelling, though. Well, it seems like the Panama <laughs> players have just spent too much time on Twitter over the last week and, and seen all these viral posts because the referee quite correctly disallowed their uh, attempted sneaky well, move. I think, yeah, Pickford collected the ball quite quite easily. I think he mm. he peeped the referee. Mm. It's a strange one. We, we look really look forward to FIFA stopping wasting time with uh, all these kind of Swiss disciplinary measures that they're cooking up at present and, and coming out with some clear guidelines on this when you can kick off business. Um, Gareth Southgate said he wasn't happy with the performance. He didn't like the start or the end, but the bit in the middle was all right. Broadly... What are the questions that are going to be on his mind as we head towards a surprisingly delicate or delicate in ways that we weren't expecting final group game with with Belgium? Well, I think the question is how England should play it because at the moment it seems like they would be better off finishing second in the group, but I'm not sure how you play that. You can't send your team out to lose. Maybe you can send your team out to draw and get lots of disciplinary points, which would be thoroughly entertaining for everyone involved but I do think it's a difficult situation it's not about who we get in the second round because I think Group H is relatively evenly balanced and whether it's Japan or Colombia or Senegal I'm not sure the difference I'm not sure there is much difference but it's more about who comes afterwards if we can avoid Germany and Brazil in the quarterfinal right if you finish finish top you're likely to get Brazil or Germany in the quarterfinal if you finish runner-up probably Switzerland or 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 Mexico. Mexico yeah yeah well Mr KM suggest since the disciplinary record could well be what decides it um, that it would be interesting it's third goalie subbed on after 80 minutes to specifically get a red card <laughs> and do managers the Pope's being worst sent ever action that would be sorry that would be the Pope's <laughs> biggest ever crime <laughs> right absolutely um, or do managerial dismissals do they count towards that probably not no alright because this has been a question a recurring question on the Sunday what do you do do you arrest players do you you go for second place in the group and as one they've all responded no you have to keep the winning habit you've got to keep the momentum you have to go for it don't change your winning team Duncan 
with all your wealth of managerial experience, what would you do? I would probably try and win the game. You can't really predict it too much. I mean, you can, obviously, because it's predetermined to an extent. But, you know, the, the results in the last games, I guess what is probably in England's favour is that they're playing on the last day of group games. So they will kind of have seen what's happened in the other matches. So, that you know, their route will possibly be uh, ordained, I guess. But I think it's, it's too dangerous uh, a manoeuvre, really. Yeah, I mean, it's very dangerous because, as we saw today, well, England can't defend set pieces, you know, down that left-hand side, kept giving the ball away and uh, couldn't keep a clean sheet and we only drew the second half. Mm. So uh, I think it's it, we're up against it against Belgium. Well, they did so, it in Euro, uh, Euro 2016 as well, didn't they? They arrested a load of players in Slovakia and, um, and that didn't work. Right. And equally for Roberto Martinez... What will be on his mind ahead of, when is it, Thursday's clash mm-hmm. with England? Will he be eyeing up Harry Maguire and thinking we can make hay down that side? Yeah. Well, I think England have, um, I'd say the biggest problem has been, particularly in the first half of the two games, they've conceded possession quite cheaply in defence. Maguire has been guilty of it. Kyle Walker took a really heavy touch for some reason. Mm. And there was quite an early Panama break, I think at 0-0, where John Stones gave the ball away cheaply. So... England's players have not been under great pressure. We haven't been pressed high up the pitch by this opposition. That might be different against Belgium. And I think Southgate will be concerned about that because of all the things he's done that have been very good, very positive in this England side, the main one really is getting ball players into the back line. And if they're conceding possession cheaply, um, you know, you start to you start to wonder why you've, you've put that effort in. Um, but overall, I mean, two wins from two. It's coming home. I mean, four years ago, we rotated our entire side because we were already out. So... <laughs> The, the prospect of rotating our side because we're already through is this, very pleasant. This time four years ago, Roy Hodgson said the nil-nil Costa Rica had given the fans something to cheer. <laughs> so we've possibly moved on from then. I mean, it possibly. depends how much the heat that was much spoken about before, yeah. before today's game actually had an effect. It didn't seem to have that much of an impact on England's display today. You probably all saw the picture of Sam Allardyce having a burger watching the game in a pub. And this tweet from David Hartrick imagining another continuum. Uh, England won... Panama nil, Rooney penalty, 78 minutes. Allardyce delighted to bounce back with three points after Tunisia. Horror show. We just wanted to be alive going into the Belgian game and thanks to that man of the match performance from JT, we are. <laughs> I, I sort of miss that world though. It feels comforting. This one feels strange and, and too celebratory. So. Hold on to your hats, Duncan, because there's more where that came from. Sun, sea, sand and football. Watching the World Cup on holiday sounds like paradise, until you try watching a game online and realise seconds before kickoff that it's blocked. Well, instead of bemoaning your decision to book a trip during a tournament that comes around once every four years, you need to get yourself a virtual private network from bestvpn.com and you'll be able to access the internet freely wherever you are this summer, all for less than the price of a pint. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can get 70% off a VPN by visiting bestvpn.com slash podcast. Bestvpn.com will set you up with a VPN in minutes so you can watch the football from your deck chair or by the pool. And when it comes to security, bestvpn.com will also protect your internet activity from prying eyes on open Wi-Fi networks. No matter where you are in the world, you can access your online home comforts with a VPN. So unlock the internet today with bestvpn.com. Find out more and get 70% off by heading to bestvpn.com slash podcast. Sunday scores, well, after England had uh, notched up that 6-1 win over Panama, Group H got underway and Japan had a sizzling 2-2 draw with Senegal in Yekaterinburg. And then in the evening, Colombia dispatched Poland 3-0 in Kazan. Carl with a K says... I can't be asked to look up all the World Cup scorers and their teams, but I'm guessing that Spurs have scored the most goals so far. Did Carl with a K 
guess correctly. Well, I could be asked to look it up Ooh. with the with the power of machines, and um, he's wrong. Yeah, he's wrong. Uh, Spurs players have scored seven goals. Seven goals. Real Madrid players have scored eight. Very Spursy to come so close. And second, no need second. No need. Real Madrid usually signs Spurs best players anyway. So. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you probably count Kane as Real Madrid goals, yeah. really. So. Shall we talk about Group H? <laughs> Two exciting games. Well, one very balanced, the other one not so much. Colombia defeating Poland 3-0 this evening. Uh, nice to see Colombia turning up, Michael. Yeah, I mean, their first game was, um, you know, there was a big asterisk almost because after three minutes, I think it was, they went down to 10 men. And I think they actually played very well against uh, Japan in that first game. This time around, it was a, a more even contest, 11 against 11, and they scored three really good goals, I think, you know, all assisted by really great passes. Um, I thought it was great to see James Rodriguez looking very fit. Um, I thought for the second game in a row, Radamel Falcao led the line superbly and this time got his goal, his first ever World Cup goal with a fantastic outside of the boot finish. Um, and Cuadrado, who, who slightly strangely got hooked after about 25 minutes of the first game, again, looked really bright here um, and got himself on the score sheet. And um, I still think Colombia could prove exciting in this World Cup. Um, they've got a great attacking unit. I've got reservations about their defence and, and their goalkeeper. I think um, Ospina seems to punch everything. Every time there's a cross, he comes to punch. And I know that's out of keeping with Peckerman's philosophy, which is you've got to catch them all. So there's some uh, issues there. Um, but they look very good. You know, good on the counter attack. Peckerman go. And, yeah. And, <laughs> and very good in possession as well. So I think they'll get through and they could well face England in the next round. Right. Would they be the most dangerous opponent of Group H that England could have? I, I think they could be, personally. I think Japan and Senegal are good sides, but I think Colombia, just they've got a couple of players, uh, James and, and uh, Cuadrado, who are really, really difficult to stop. Um, so I would least like to face Colombia in the next round, definitely. Right. Okay. Poland, very disappointing. Yeah. I mean, they went into this tournament as the seventh-ranked team in the world. Lewandowski was, what, the top scorer in qualifying with with 17 goals. And it looks like, for that kind of generation of players, Lewandowski, um, Blaszczykowski, Grosicki, Glick, who are all kind of 30 or over that, this is it, it's done. You know, mm. they're, they're, they're not going to feature or do anything in a major tournament, which is a shame. I mean, they've still got some bright young players, but again, today, hardly ever got the ball up to Lewandowski, which is a big surprise considering what we saw from him in, in, in qualifying. Passing sideways, very disappointing. Jim Barnett says, is it time to accept now that Lewandowski is a flat-track bully? Like the, the time he scored four against Real Madrid for Borussia Dortmund. It was a, a weak Real Madrid team, <laughs> I think. A Jose Mourinho yeah. coached Real Madrid team, OK. But he has been... I mean, it's strange how for Poland, certainly in tournaments, in qualifying fantastic in, in tournaments now, that's one goal in seven tournament matches. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they, they looked completely clueless in both their games, Poland. I think, with the exception of Argentina, I think they've been the most disappointing team. The teams that some of us hyped up, you know, Morocco and Peru, who I think played good football and a little bit unlucky, lacked quality in the final third. But I can't work out what Poland were trying to do, how they were trying to create chances. And, you know, from a group that is, we expected to be very even, they've gone home after two games. And I think that's, uh, you know, a massive underachievement, really. Yeah, they didn't have a shot on target till the 58th minute in this game, which is not ideal. And no top seed at a World Cup has ever gone out without getting a point. And they are 90 minutes from doing so. Japan-Senegal, that was pretty evenly matched. 2-2 the final score. Really enjoy both these sides. Colombia looked great as well, but it'll be sad to see one of either the Senegalese or the, the Japanese uh, going. Uh, how does this draw leave them in terms of the group? They're both a point ahead of Colombia. 
Colombia will need to beat Senegal in the last game. Um, you'd expect Japan to uh, get a result against the Poland side already out, but I think Senegal-Colombia could be one of the, the best games of the last round and probably one of the most uh, enjoyable crowd scenes, I guess, because they both seem to have brought an incredible number of fans who are uh, remarkably vociferous in the in the in the crowd. So I'm really looking forward to that game. Jonathan Tengwall, Michael, wants to hear you speak about Japan's simple yet very effective use of inverted wingers. Yeah, I think the interesting player here has been uh, Takashi Inui, who's played on the left flank for Japan and seems to have had about seven shots so far from an almost identical position, kind of just inside the box, almost a Thierry Henry position, I'd say. And the interesting thing here was the battle, um, his battle with Senegal's right back, Musa Wagwe. Mm. Um, of Watford, is that right? Yes. Mm. Um, who also scored in the game. Who also scored. So Inui uh, scored a really good curler um, to equalise. And then the second half was just a kind of cat and mouse battle between the two of them. Inui again cut inside and chipped one just onto the crossbar, kind of the far side, almost the angle of the goal. Um, and it looked like the goal was going to come from him. And then uh, Wagwe uh, charged forward past Inui, raided Takashi's castle, if you know, <laughs> um, and, and scored a, a really good goal. So it was just a classic battle between a winger who didn't really want to do too much defensive work and a fullback who wanted to fly forward. Inui, who has a, a pretty unique characteristic in this World Cup, Michael, mm. in that his jersey reads the same upside down. That's that's great. And they've actually yeah. used a font which perfectly mirrors. Yeah, that's interesting. They kind of use a similar font on Moscow for the uh, opening ceremony. If okay. you saw that, which doesn't quite read the same backwards as forwards, but uh, mm. the font helped. It was an exciting game, this James, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was uh, it, it was a thrilling one, and uh, Keisuke Honda. Um, the veteran Japanese mm. player becoming the all-time top scorer um, from the Asian continent at World Cups, and he scored in three separate World Cups, which is pretty, pretty, pretty good. No? Impact sub here, yeah. And it was really impressive the way that Japan came back mm. again, uh, well, well, twice in, in this clash with with Senegal, because I, I don't think many people thought they had this. Well, I well, this was supposed to be the worst Japan side in twenty years. Yeah, there's mm. a lot of that about. Listeners, there are 32 teams and 736 players at the World Cup, but there are a million stories beyond the pitch in Russia. The excellent Game of Our Lives podcast is back for its second season and host David Goldblatt will bring you fiery discussion of the cultural, political and sociological issues that make football the world's greatest sport. Along with his co-host, David will be discussing things like Iceland's incredible rise and Panama's amazing journey to their first tournament, as well as taking deep dives into historical matches that still have resonance for today's game. Search for Game of Our Lives with David Goldblatt wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. A little bit of news for you from FIFA land. Do you remember all the excitement over Granit Xhaka and Jordan Shakiri's celebrations for their goals mm-hmm. against Serbia? Putting their hands together and doing a kind of double-headed Kosovan, Albanian eagle gesture. FIFA are coming down hard on this. They've opened disciplinary proceedings against the players for their goal celebrations, uh, citing a clause in their regulations which says that anyone who provokes the general public during a match will be suspended for two games. So genuinely, there's a a strong possibility that they will miss the last Group E game, which is against Costa Rica, which they may well need to win, depending on what Serbia does with Brazil, but also uh, a potential last 16 uh, match. That's huge. It sounds like an incredibly 
flimsy law, if I may say so, provoking the general public. If that's the wording, I dare say that could go to some kind of legal challenge. Well, it's an overtly political gesture, I guess, is if they decide that's what it is. But but they do have a precedent, FIFA, for handing out lengthier bounds than this when people have dabbled in politics uh, in their you know moments of goal-scoring passion. All right, let's hear then about what the fixtures are on Monday. Well, it's the climax of Groups A and B. In the afternoon, Group A action. Saudi Arabia take on an Egypt team still looking for their first ever World Cup win, whilst at the same time, and slightly more significantly, Uruguay meet Russia, the two teams on maximum points battling effectively to avoid Spain. Spain themselves will be in action in the evening as Group B finishes off with their clash with Morocco in Kaliningrad and Iran's match with Portugal. Hmm. All sorts of significant things there. What do we want to begin with? Well, I think Iran-Portugal uh, is the game of the day. Um, obviously, it's basically winner-takes-all. I mean, Portugal have the draw, Iran have to win this one. But it's given out in spice, of course, by the fact that Iran's manager is Carlos Quieros, who formerly in charge of uh, Portugal in 2010 and also took charge, you know, famously of their uh, youth team for that golden generation when they won the, I think, Under-20 World Cup in 1991. I think I'm right in saying so. A huge game for him personally. And also, I think, quite a difficult game for Portugal because Iran are really well-drilled defensively. We saw how they, you know, almost completely blunted Spain and were quite unlucky to concede that Diego Costa winner. So this could be a close one. Michael, Group B as it stands, as you know, Spain and Portugal both on four points. Portugal's opponents, Iran, a point behind. Carlos Quiros, though, with a win, can knock his nation and his old friend Cristiano Ronaldo out of this World Cup. We dialed up our friend Basil McDaddy from the Football Palestine blog to find out his thoughts on this game. The expectation from their fans was get something out of that Morocco game, get the three points from the Morocco game, and this would be seen as a success because uh, Iran is a team that hadn't had a World Cup win in 20 years, uh, and they did that. And they played brilliantly against Spain. I think they they really impressed people with how disciplined they were defensively, and when they had to go out and, and get a goal, they showed that they could uh, they could attack. So I would say yes. I would cautiously say yes, that they could get something out of the the Portugal game, uh, mostly because their opponents have been utterly reliant on Ronaldo, and they've shown that they can at least eliminate defensive mistakes and set pieces that Portugal have scored off of in their previous two games. So yeah, I think they can get something out of this. Um, they'll be ruining the fact that only really a win would deliver them um, a second-round entry. But let's see. I think if they play the way, the way they played uh, against uh, Morocco in the opener against Spain in their last game, they're more incapable of, uh, of surprising Portugal and getting a win. Basil, do you expect Carlos Queiroz to set up the same way as he did against Spain for this match, you know, massively defensively and with Johan Bash on the bench? Uh, no, I don't. I do think there'll be rotations, and I think that's the big difference between this squad in 2018 and the squad they sent to the World Cup four years ago. Uh, I do think Jahan Baksh will start. Uh, and I think it was a um, a move they made in the Spain game with an eye on this game to say, OK, if we rest Jahan Baksh, we can have him for 90 minutes to run his socks off and maybe do some damage against Portugal in a really decisive game. I think maybe the camp was hoping that Morocco could get at least a point and then there would be a scenario where they could advance with a draw. Uh, now they really have no chance. They have to go for it from the beginning. So I don't think we'll see the same defensive setup. And I think they'll be a little bit more fit. You have to also remember that uh, 
Izetolahi, who scored um, what would have been the equalizer if not for VAR, uh, was suspended for the first game. So he'll also be fresher than some other players. Um, and, you know, there might also be some some rotations there. Uh, I would expect to see maybe Saman Godos, who plays uh, in Sweden for Ostersund. I think his name would be familiar to Arsenal fans who saw him put in a man-of-the-match performance at the Emirates in their uh, Europa League tie. Um, so there, there's going to be, I think, some rotations. I don't think we'll see the same starting eleven. Expect to see maybe one or two different names on that team sheet. And do you think we're likely to see any, shall we say, interesting throw-ins from the Iranians in like the 93rd minute or something? Uh, I think I was about as shocked as anybody else who's seen Iran through the um, through their qualification campaign. I, I don't know what Mohammadi was trying to do. Uh, if it succeeded, it would have been impressive. Uh, instead, he took up about. 20 or 30 seconds that could have been used to mount at least one final shot on goal. Uh, I'm pretty sure Kirosh probably got into his ear and said, okay, the thought was nice, but maybe don't do that again. It's a shame to see Iran go out. They've given us so many treats like that throw in. Yeah, it would. I mean, they've got to face Ronaldo, as we've discussed, and uh, Ronaldo remains the only player to have scored against each of George Bush's uh, axis of evil, which is North Korea, Iran and Millwall. <laughs> <laughs> He scored all of Portugal's goals, of course. To what extent does shutting down Ronaldo equate to shutting down Portugal? Yeah, quite a lot. Um, I think if there's one team in this group that could do it as well, Iran, you know, very organised, and also Kiroz, you know, the man that kind of, you know, turned Ronaldo into what he is now when he was at Manchester United, um, could be the man to do it. Kiroz right. did say that the only way Iran can shut Ronaldo down is if Fernando Santos leaves him out of the team. So there huh. you go. All right. What, what, what do you think? Can Iran pull a pull off an upset and make their way through to the last sixteen? Well, we saw it was very tight against uh, against Spain. I'm a little bit. Uh, I would like to see a little bit more from their attacking players because I think they went into this tournament um, with probably yeah, more goals in them since we've seen when they had uh, what since the '98 side when so you had Yahakambash who's had a great season with AZ Alkmaar, all the hype around Asmoon, and yet you know they, ha- they haven't really been able to kind of unleash. Um, those kind of players. It's still been quite a defensively minded um, side. So, yeah, they've, they've definitely got players who can, you know, turn a game. Um, you know, Yahabambash in particular has got some a, a great, can shoot with both feet and can score goals from outside the box. So, you know, as long as you've got a player like that, you have a chance. I think it's the problem for Iran might be the fact that Portugal won't be as offensive as Spain were. You know, Spain had to win that game. Portugal have the draw here. And they've got so many players who are just good at keeping possession. Xiao Mario, Bernardo Silva. So I'm not they, sure Iran can just part the bus and counterattack because I think if they try to do that, they might not get any opportunities to do so. They have looked pretty shaky at the back, though, Portugal, so far. They have. I think they're slow at the back. I think their full-backs, um, particularly Guerrero in the last game, had a real shocker. So... Uh, yeah, there's weaknesses there. There's, I, I think this will be a, a really tough game uh, for Portugal, or a really tight game, I should say, um, because Iran are good defensively and they do have some good attacking weapons. All right. Four o'clock on Monday. Mm-hmm. That'll be kicking off. In the evening, then, it's uh, Group A's time turn to uh, to wrap things up and the big clash there is the Uruguay-Russia game. To get an idea of the reaction back home to Uruguay's progress so far, we spoke to Gilmar Deladon Imperiapolis. Well, basically, well, yeah, Uruguay, we, we're quite cautious here. We, we always been like that in every World Cup because we, even if we always got good teams, we never expect much from them. It, I think that's one of the differences between Uruguay and Argentina. They always go to the World Cup thinking they want to win it 
any cost. But we always take it step by step. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Russia beat Uruguay. But one day was fine for me. First in the group and wait for Spain or Portugal. Or who knows, maybe Iran could be the surprise. People here obviously enjoy as much. Football here is so big. My wife is English and she still can't believe how big is football here. Well, I don't know if you probably saw the news. Uh, school stops here. You know, everyone watches football at school. You don't need to go to work that day. Yeah, it's like a bank holiday every time Uruguay play. And I've got to ask as well, how much are you guys enjoying the spectacular implosion of your neighbours in Argentina? When it comes to football, we, we always want them to lose. But in other sense, we are quite good neighbours. But when it comes to football, is we all, the joy here when, when Croatia was scoring, you could hear the na- every neighbour in, in the neighbourhood shouting the goals. It's mental. <laughs> it's like Uruguay was scoring the goals. Uh, unfortunately, I think it, it will be the last World Cup for Messi, which for me is still, I think, is the best player for the last 20 years after Maradona. And uh, yeah, but we are enjoying a bit. It's, it's not nice to say because one of my neighbors is Argentinian, but <laughs> I have to keep it quiet. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uruguay, we're kind of waiting to see a real Uruguay. Yeah, and I wonder if uh, this is the game in which they will uh, come to life because apparently they've been trying a few different things in training, 3-5-2, specifically with um, getting their most talented ball-playing midfield players into the same team. So, um, you know, we might see that uh, Torreira, Bentancur and Vecina all playing together from the start. Um, which might make things a little bit more fluent um, with with them going forward, because I think a lot was made of um, how different this uh, the makeup of this Uruguay midfield is um, going into the World Cup, and yet we haven't really seen it make as much of a difference. Um, but um, you know, Torreira, obviously, there's a lot of um, talk around him uh, ahead of his anticipated move um, to uh, to Arsenal. You know, just someone who can not only sort of dictate the tempo of a game. Um, but also um, get the ball back for you. He's very good at that. I mean, yeah, I think he won more tackles, more interceptions than any other player in Serie A last season, which is a bit of a surprise for a guy who's quite diminutive, doesn't look um, all that physical. And but he, someone can, could, but he can also play. He can also play. Um, yeah, the player he's most compared with is is Verratti um, because you know they have the same background in that he was signed very very young um, from uh, Pes- by Pescara who initially played him as a 10 and then you know, he had the PLO treatment done to him and he was moved to play in front of the defence and he's had a great couple of seasons at Samp not only being a playmaker but someone who can score some um, wonderful goals from, from either free kicks or just from distance. Why hasn't Tavares had him in the side so far? Yeah, that's been a, a bit of a surprise. Um, I, I, I wonder if it's, if it's a conservatism really um, in that they look at... Um, Having you know, Bentancur, who's a bit more of an all-rounder, uh, I think, and Vecino, who is, is, is very much box-to-box. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see all three of them play together, um, mm. just because I think that, that becomes, on paper at least, one of the, one of the best midfields in, in the tournament. And, and up front, you've got potentially one <laughs> of the best front lines with Cavani and Suarez, only it hasn't really happened for them yet. Still, if it does, look out World Cup. Yeah, it hasn't worked really because Suarez's finishing has been very poor. Obviously, he scored in the second game. But the first game, Cavani did an incredible job in that kind of second striker, number 10 role. Kept creating chances, had a few good efforts himself. Um, but Suarez just doesn't look physically sharp enough to me. Um, I dare say he can still cause problems in this game. But uh, I think it's been him that's been letting down the side more than uh, Cavani, who's uh, who's looked 
hasn't done anything controversial yet either. Hasn't handled any anything on the line. He hasn't bitten anyone. Yeah, World Cup bingo is 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 yet to have the strike next to uh, Suarez's name. Plenty of time for that though. Of course, this game is looking like the toughest test for both teams after their matches with Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Russia, the opponents, draw would be good enough to give Russia first place thanks to their eight goals from two matches so far. Is this where they crash back down to reality, do you think, Duncan, the Russians? Well, it's going to be very interesting, isn't it, because they have looked very energetic thus far and have done uh, a good job. Um, Uruguay, actually, they beat England and Italy in the last World Cup, mm. but before then, I think they've gone 15 uh, World Cup games against European teams without winning. Um, and Russia going for the fourth consecutive European host of a World Cup to win all their three group games. So, but what I find interesting about this group, actually, is um, this group and England's group, the big, the big game, inverted commas, um, is the third match, you know, Belgium, England, Uruguay, Russia. And that in both groups, both those teams have six points. Whereas you look at the Group B, Portugal and Spain played first, that was a draw, and it's kind of kept the group alive a lot longer. And you kind of think maybe it's better to, you know, not to stick these games in the third match. Put them I early. see, I see. It, interesting that you used the energy or energetic word there with, with Russia. ESPN today had a quote on their website, undoubtedly fuelled by the adrenaline that comes from being roared on by a passionate home crowd, which again, is kind of hinting at the, the elephant in the room. Let's be frank, it's a country that's had huge problems with uh, abuses of, of, of doping in sport, whose football team is suddenly doing wonderful things and is statistically running much more and much longer and faster than any other team. Eight kilometres more after two matches than any other side in this World Cup. Now, against that, I think if you look at the last World Cup, Australians actually were clocking up even more kilometres than Russia are doing in this one, so you know. I don't. Yeah, I don't think you can read that much into distance covered because it's it's so dependent on the type of game. You know, you can you can go up, you can take the lead early and not have to run that much because you're just passing the ball around and keeping the ball. So um, obviously that hasn't applied to Russia in this World <laughs> Cup, uh, but. You know, I think it's a, it's a very kind of vague statistic to hang anything on, really. Absolutely. So let's appreciate the incredible achievements they've had so far. A Russian defence that lost all sorts of players, that's got a 38-year-old at the heart of it, that's suddenly been able to perform pretty effectively, a, a, a front line that I don't think anyone thought was going to start scoring goals. Yeah, but again, you know, it's very difficult to judge a team when they haven't had competitive games for two years. If you, know, if you look at England before U96, they had some absolutely terrible friendlies at home. Then were fine-ish when it got to the tournament. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a false kind of uh, dichotomy, really. But they are looking good, though. Golovin, top scorers against the, the best defence um, at, the, at the World Cup so far. Right, Uruguay's defence. Yeah, against the eight-goal Russian attack, which, right. you know, Belgium and England have scored eight piece as well. But... Um, but you mentioned the injuries at the back. They obviously uh, had that injury to uh, Zhagoev um, in, the, in their first game. Mm. And that turned out to be a blessing in disguise because Cheryshev has, has come in and, and really taken his, his chance with, what, three goals from their first two games. So, Who do you think is going to come out on top, the best defence or the best attack? You know, I wonder if, if Uruguay moving away from their 4-4-2 and maybe experimenting a bit uh, without making too many personnel changes, I, I wonder if, if that doesn't click, I think we'll just see Cheryshev Picking the same team that he has done for the first two games, sticking with that and trying to maintain momentum. I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, if Russia continue to upset the odds and we see this stat that that we've had come to bear. Their amazing run continue. Yes. Mm. 
So many questions, but answers arriving daily. Super. All right, well, let's find out, having spoken about all that, what the odds are on Monday's fixtures. Producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power again. Thanks, Jimbo. It's Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. As usual, Lee, how are you? How's the World Cup going for you? I'm very well. I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and it's about to get real, isn't it? Well, it certainly is. It's the last round of group games. Uh, Some games mean absolutely nothing. Some games mean an awful lot. Let's start with one that does mean a lot. Uruguay versus Russia. Russia have been the surprise package of this tournament so far. Can they win here and make it nine points out of nine? Yeah, who would have thought that Russia, the home country presided over by Vladimir Putin, would be doing so well in their own tournament? Uh, big surprise. Uh, not least to Paddy Power, of course, who have committed 10 grand to every goal they score and are therefore already 80 grand in the hole. Great. Uh, they're 9-5 to five to win this match. Uh, Uruguay are 8-5, so it's very tight in our book. Suddenly we start respecting Russia. The draw is 15-8. to eight. We're one to two that Russia win the group. And as you say, that'd be a real story for this tournament. Group B is very much alive. It's between Spain and Portugal to take the group. Spain are taking on Morocco. Morocco, the best team to have got absolutely no points at all. Are they going to surprise the Spanish here? Yeah, I remember you tipping them up, Ben. Uh, and I stand by my Bermuda reaction now, despite backtracking last time. Uh, Morocco are 9-1 to one to win this match. Um, and they probably deserve more than Nil Poir, But I'm not sure they're going to get it. Spain are a massive 1-3 to three to win this fixture with the draw 7-2. to two. Uh, Spain looks set to top the group, given Portugal's tough game in the other match. Well, let's talk about that uh, Portugal game. Uh, they're taking on Iran. If they win it, they could finish top of the group. Yeah, this is really, really tough to call. Iran have been very good despite lacking a goal-scoring threat for the first two fixtures. Uh, they pushed Spain hard and unlucky to lose that match. And Portugal haven't been that great, whisper it around Ronaldo, of course. Uh, Iran are 9-2 to two to win this match and 6-1 to one to qualify from the group. Uh, it's 12 to 5 as a draw. Portugal are odds on to win the fixture, 4 to 6. And Ronaldo, of course, is odds on to score in this match, 5 to 6. He's now the clear favourite for the Golden Boot at 7 to 4. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Listeners, if you've enjoyed the vocal talents of Duncan Alexander, Michael Cox, and James Horncastle, you'll be delighted to know they will be returning soon. Michael, you're back on. Uh, back on Wednesday after groups E and F conclude. I Great, okay. And Duncan, you're in for the big one Thursday night. Belgium, England. But I'll probably have to watch the other one, won't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, James, you're with us tomorrow and I think the day after. Yes, I believe so. All right. I hope you will be too, listener, because we'll certainly be here right after the final whistle has blown on Monday's games. In the meantime, if you're feeling like you miss us, get in touch at The Totally Show on Twitter or come and find us on Facebook where there's all sorts of fun and games. That's it for today. We'll see you Tuesday morning. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. 
We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team. Through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.